We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Golden Bearcast. I am one of your hosts, Rob Huang. This podcast is being brought to you by Bet Online. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Bearcast. We have rebranded, and it's only our second podcast after we have rebranded. Uh, it might be weird for all you listeners because uh, you might have just heard an ad read at the beginning. That's going to be standard from now on since we're part of a pod, podcast network. Uh, but I'm one of your co-hosts, Rob. Uh, Andy is not here with us today, but I do have the newly minted editor-in-chief of WriteForCalifornia.com, Mr. Nick Krantz. How you doing? How you doing, my friend? Well, you know, it's just a normal day in a normal country in a normal time in our lives. Uh, everything 100% totally normal in every way. So let's talk about all those normal things. Right. And before I, before I get started, this is our first podcast after we've moved platforms from SB Nation and Vox onto our new site, writeforcalifornia.com. Um, as our editor-in-chief and as the leader of the editors of myself and Leland, is there anything you'd want to tell our listeners about the, the new site and what we're trying to do with this? I don't know if I if there's anything I have to say that we didn't say in sort of our various introductory articles to the, the new website. You know, if you, uh, are for whatever reason, haven't been paying attention and you're hearing this for the first time, you know, go back to our the earliest articles on the new site. And, and read through them, and I think you'll get a pretty good sense of, of what we're trying to do. But I guess the main message to everybody listening is, one, thank you, and two, uh, bear with us as we work through uh, the kinks with the, that go along with transitioning to a new website. And uh, needless to say, all the weird news that's been happening in the, min- the middle of all of it. Yeah. The last I checked, we're at over 1.1k subscribers which is incredible considering we've only been well okay technically we were only in the public's eye since for about two weeks but you know a man by the name of twist and hook leaked our site early by two days and (laughs) uh so we've been we've technically been live for a little bit more than two weeks but 
If you're one of our subscribers and you're also a listener of the podcast and a subscriber of the podcast, we appreciate you, every single one of you. And uh, we have some great content uh, that we have planned going forward. Speaking of that, the biggest question on everyone's mind right now is the this hiatus um, that we're going through. I, I wanted to get your take on just how, how you reacted once you heard all of these sports were going on hiatus with... Uh, basically, I, I think that the whole crux of this started with Rudy Gobert basically being diagnosed with coronavirus. That spiraled the NBA into, you know, taking its break and then uh, college basketball deciding the tournaments were off or and then the Pac-12 saying the tournament's off and it spiraled to the MLB saying their season's delayed and the NHL suspending their seasons. But... I just wanted to get your take on how you found out the news, what your thoughts were initially when you when you got all that info. So uh, I, I'm coming at this from a, maybe a little bit of a different angle than the average person. Um, I've actually been involved in emergency planning through my day-to-day job, not so much currently, but in the past at, within state government and uh, health and safety currently. And so I'd been following the news pretty closely. I had received pandemic training, uh, you know, somewhere around a decade ago. And in a bizarre sort of way, I, I almost wonder if the United States of America isn't going to owe a debt of gratitude to Rudy, uh, to Mr. Gobert for his um, idiotic behavior that led to the transmission of, of the virus to so many more people because this country went from not caring to really, really caring, like, bam, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, to the situation where we go from having a Cal basketball game in front of a crowd one night to the Pac-12 tournament is canceled the next day. Like, that's how quickly this went from, eh, we're not really taking this seriously as a country, to, oh, I guess we're taking this seriously as a country. Um so, I, I don't know. It's needless to say, to state the obvious, it's a bummer to see our, our forms of entertainment uh, go on hiatus. But, um, you know, hopefully we're taking steps that will make this less painful for everybody as a country and, and as a citizen of the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally on the same train of thought as you. Um like the the fact that i mean one i grew up overseas in south korea i have family over there in south korea seeing what happened and how that transpired and the the number of uh people that were affected and how the country is being run in this state of emergency and just the the seemingly lack of preparedness here in the states uh honestly scared me uh, but then at the same time, like, holy crap, like, within a 24-hour frame, like, we've adjusted insanely. <laughs> um, and, like, it just, as much as it's entertainment for us, it just sucks for all these players, these these athletes that don't get to end their season the way they wanted to, um, at least temporarily. Uh, for the pro athletes, you know, they're on hiatus, so who knows when they'll start back up. But for the college athletes... Any of the uh, basketball players, uh, both men's and women's, any of the swim guys and, and gals, any of uh, the tennis 
uh, golf. You know, there's so many other sports that were affected and not just like the mainstay ones that most people think about. And it just sucks that they're never going to get that, just that feeling of like, I left it all out there. Like, I, it's just such a deflating way to, to end their season. Uh, and I can only imagine just like the Cal men's basketball team and how they felt, you know, beating Stanford and upsetting them in amazing fashion, which we'll talk about later. But then at the same time, probably, probably spending that night in Vegas thinking we're probably going to have to play in front of a crowdless arena. And then they, they wake up in the morning and then the things cancel and they're on their flights back home. Like what a weird, like, I don't know how you even like prepare yourself mentally for that. Um, but going off of that, one of the biggest questions that uh, someone asked us on Discord uh, by our friend Spec Slayer he said, uh, I assume you'll talk about this, but I'd like to hear how you think this affects Cal in relation to other teams. Will we have an advantage going forward or a disadvantage in both football and basketball? I'm going to toss this to you. I'm interested to hear what your take is. I don't I don't think it really makes any difference to, to any of the teams in basketball. I mean, I guess, hypothetically, one of our Pac-12 rivals could have gone on a crazy tournament run and so somebody maybe lost whatever buzz fan enthusiasm recruiting enthusiasm that they might have created for themselves with with an event like that i mean i i wanted to watch cal play in the pac-12 tournament but let's be realistic the the season was going to end in las vegas almost certainly one way or another um so i don't think that cal's program tra- trajectory was changed in the slightest. But yeah, I could see maybe some of those other teams that lost the chance at a March Madness run lost. You know, there's some opportunity costs there. Um, Football-wise, it's kind of up to the coaches to recruit through the weirdness here. I, I, I heard that they're changing some of the recruiting rules to, to uh, decrease uh, social interaction. I, it's it's just too early to even begin to guess if and how this might impact football teams one way or another. Yeah, I think for me for basketball, if I were to pick it, probably it's it's an advantage just because you're just starting the you're just starting the off season sooner. Um, campus is closed, but um, they can start their off season regiment now. Uh, there there probably won't be. You know any end of the season like press availability or talks like it'll just be off uh, off of campus as most people are uh, with spring break coming in at Berkeley and and then uh, no in person classes for the rest of the semester from what I just heard this morning so you know everyone's going to be doing online classes I can only assume most people are headed home and they won't be in the immediate area. And you know if 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 the basketball team you know all those guys go home they they have from now until basically the summer when they come back if they come back in the summer and if that's allowed um, to to start working on their offseason stuff <laughs> nothing to do but get shots up exactly exactly <laughs> I mean in terms of football I mean I I've been at spring camp the last two week the last week not even two weeks um, and. I'm going to say this is a disadvantage uh, because we're trying to break in a new offense with new lingo, 
um, new tendencies that you know this offensive coaching staff wants because we do have a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterbacks coach, a new running back coach, uh, and a new offensive line coach. So the, what they're asking of their players is going to be, I w- I'm not going to say drastically different, but it's still different from what the previous staff was asking them. And you don't get any hands-on time with the guys on the field. Granted, they'll probably have a lot more time in the film room um, with this now, but there won't be like legitimate practices where they'll get individual time. They'll get team time. They'll, they'll have more tape that they've used or filmed through practice to build off of. Now it's definitely going to be a lot more of, all right, let's run back the Oakland Raiders tape. Let's run back the uh, Minnesota Vikings tape. Um, and let's try and get our, our mental game in the right place until we're allowed to come back. So yeah, in that sense, it's a disadvantage. Uh, you know, it's always with a new coaching staff and in, in a new system you're trying to put in. So, I guess that's that's where I'm at with that question. Yeah, I can see that argument. And I guess the main question in terms of impacts is, is spring practice canceled and not to be made up? Or is it just delayed until, who knows, May or whatever? And, yeah, whether canceled versus delayed will probably be the, the main question in terms of potential impacts down the line. Yeah, I mean, they the the official press release made it sound like, hey, this is until further notice. So by that term, in my opinion, it's they'll probably reassess at the end of the month or sometime yeah. next month, and just be like, is, do you think it is it, it the last the medical official uh, the the medical staff and the officials is it okay to do this? Like, can we do this without you know exposing? You know, maybe they have it closed practices now where it's not open to the public and it's just pretty much the team on the field. Um, I don't know what they do, but it does sound like it's something that they're going to be, because it's such a fluid situation, um, that they'll constantly be in touch and getting the updates of what necessary facts they need before they decide to reschedule all this. Um, all right. Uh, I guess I guess we went over the biggest thing on our on the schedule, which is the coronavirus and how that's affecting all of the sports world and all of the regular people world. Uh, but we'll move on to some stuff to get your mind off of that. Let's talk about men's basketball. All right. Let's talk about men's basketball season in review. All right. Nick, you sent me the rundown of what you wanted to go through, so I'm assuming you're ready to talk about this. Absolutely. So we'll start at the top. All right. Uh, I'm going to throw in a question here that we didn't have on here, but I did want to kind of use this as a lead-in. What were your expectations? I know you re- you wrote a Monday column about this, but what were your expectations for this men's basketball team uh, heading into the season? So I think the one main expectation I had was that the defense would be drastically, drastically improved. Um there were so many things that wrong with the Calmets basketball team over the last two years that you know you could pick a lot of areas of, for clear improvement, but the obvious one was that the defense was broken last year. Mark Fox is a defensive specialist, or at least that's what his statistical profile would suggest. It would be reasonable to expect the defense to get a lot better. How that would translate in terms of wins and losses was a little less clear. Um, 
I think that there was a distinct possibility that the team could get a lot better defense just defensively and without that resulting in a whole lot more wins. Um, but that was my the main expectation I remember. Um, everything else was quite a, a lot of it up in the air between Mark Fox's questionable offensive reputation and then the fact that they were losing three key rotation players due to transfer and bringing in an, a freshman class that was largely filled with, I would say, uh, players with limited scouting out there. Okay. Um, so then let's let's start at the top. What went right? Well, the defense did, in fact, get a lot better. And here's where we need to break in the context of following the Viking Jones coaching uh two-year period. Um, last year, Cal's defense was ghastly. 286th in the nation uh, by Ken, Ken Palm, worst in the conference. Actually, I think Ernie Kent's was slightly worse, but God, last year was a bad year for the Pac-12. <laughs> um, the defense was at times non-existent. They they sold out for for to try to force turnovers, and they did force a lot of turnovers. But at the result of just tons of easy baskets, it was basically a layup line. Um, the def- defensive philosophy that was instilled in the prior regime is completely different than how Mark Fox wanted to play. The defense is still not really very good. Uh, Cal finished 130th on Ken Palm nationally. And they ended up in 10th place in points per possession in Pac-12 play only. But there's a big difference between being way, way worse than everybody else other than Ernie Kent and being 10th but, you know, in the ballpark of everybody else. Like, they played credible Pac-12 defense. And you could see in individual games, like, how Cal will be playing defense once the system gets a little bit more established. Like, when they held Stanford to 50 points... Uh, at home or 51 points in Las Vegas, uh, a couple other games you could pick out here or there where they played a level of defense that Mark Fox will expect from his team on a day-to-day basis. So defense went as right as it can be fixing all of the horrible, horrible things that they were taught over the prior two years. I guess a follow-up question to that that I would want to ask is, do you think do you think player progression and player improvement is... A positive was a positive for this year, or was it just neutral because you expected some of these guys to improve their play just because they were, you know, freshmen moving on to sophomores or sophomores moving on to juniors? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I do think that um, Matt Bradley, in particular, deserves uh, a little bit of credit, a lot of bit of credit. Um, I think we've gotten to the point where we sort of take him for granted within the context of Cal's struggling offense. But, you know, we're talking about a guy who last year he kind of burst onto the scene as a freshman, largely because he was a great three-point shooter. But it's worth noting that this year his responsibility on offense took a big step forward. He took a lot more shots. He had the ball in his hand a lot more. He played more minutes. Um, He became a much better uh, two-point shooter. You know, he was got better at getting to the hole. He drew a lot more fouls. Um, basically, he got better and more efficient despite the fact that he was asked to shoulder a much heavier burden on a team with, frankly, less offensive talent than they had the year before. Uh, and, and I think that that speaks really highly to how he's developed as a player. Uh, and it, it's exciting. He, you know, 
to the extent that you can be optimistic about next year, a lot of it is about what Matt Bradley can do as an individual player on offense. Okay, then I guess we got to ask about the flip side of that coin, right? Is what went wrong? Well, um, the offense is is still really, really struggling. And, and I think that it says something that you can have a player like Matt Bradley who can be an efficient scorer using a large portion of Cal's percentages or uh, possessions and, and still be an offense that ranked last in the conference. Um, it, outside of Matt Bradley, Cal had a lot of trouble scoring points. You know, they, I think they got a little bit better later in the year about avoiding turnovers. You know, that was when Cal had that ugly stretch late in the non-conference schedule. It was because they weren't making shots and they were turning the ball over. Um, but they they can't get the ball. They Cal's offense was incapable of creating high-value shots inside the paint, really. Um, and I don't have a whole lot of hope of significant offensive improvement in the short term either. And so and so that's my first sort of major disappointment of the year. Not a surprise necessarily, but still uh, a concern. You know, an interesting an interesting stat that I I was looking at was just I was running through Kempom and I was looking at particularly the first Viking Jones year and this year. Mm-hmm. And just some of, I was just looking at the statistical differences, at least, at least on offense, because we know the defense improved dra- is drastically different from what Viking ran, and is yeah. a lot more, is what much more improved. But offensively, the thing I was looking at was, I just wanted to compare whether Don Coleman in in that first year and how much he shouldered the burden of the offense uh, versus Matt Bradley and how much he shouldered the 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 brunt of the offense, and it's it's kind of interesting to look at. Um, like just looking at it right now, the percentage of possession uh, used by the two guys, Matt Bradley this year twenty seven point four percent, Don Coleman that year twenty six point three percentage of shots taken, Matt Bradley thirty, Don Coleman twenty eight point one, uh, effective field goal percentage. That's a drastic difference though. Matt Bradley at fifty one point seven and Don Coleman at thirty six point five. Um, but in terms of the sheer volume, uh, it does seem like they were pretty similar, if if not. Um, and maybe maybe that was, I mean, in my opinion, that's like a not a good comp, but at least from an from a volume standpoint, that's pretty much how we trended. Is we we asked Bradley to score, and the rest of the team to kind of play a little bit of second fiddle. And I I guess the the question of that that I wanted to ask was. Is that what you would expect going forward, or is that just just a, a end result of having a guy this talented who can score the ball and a, a coach who ne- not necessarily is known for creating creative offense for his teams? Well, I think it's interesting that you compare 2020 with 2018 because I think what beyond the comparison of Don Coleman as focal point of an offense versus Matt Bradley as focal point. And you can see, you know, the value of Matt Bradley just is a better shooter 
and that makes a big difference. Um, the, the two teams both had a problem where they tried to feed the post players for inefficient post-ups. Up, post and to Mark Fox's credit, he did move away from the post-ups later in the year. There was a period of time, you know, that, that two and eight stretch where we were trying to throw the ball down to Lars Tiemann and, and Andre Kelly in positions where they were just never going to be able to get off efficient shots. And there was a cavalcade of turnovers and the offense really, really fell into a hole and died. And I think the coaching staff did probably later than they should have, but they did figure out that that wasn't working and that they needed to lean a little bit more on Cal's guards post up less often. Um, it still wasn't a great offense, but the offense did get better later on in Pac-12 play. But I think, you know, I, I sort of talked about this in, in a post, you know, a week ago. There's there's a lot of people who just want to say that Cal's offensive personnel is, is not good enough right now, and so the jury's still out. And that's a part of it, but, you know, there's a certain amount of reality that there's no real evidence in in the history of Mark Fox's coaching career to indicate that he is an, an, even an average offensive coach at the Power 5 level. And I want to be wrong. I want to believe that he has changed, that he's learned something, and maybe you give him a little bit more time because this year's team lost so much talent to the transfer market, and they're young, and they're limited in terms of their skill set. But... I didn't see anything from the coaching staff this year that suggested that Mark Fox now is meaningfully different than the offensive coaching that we saw at Georgia. And until we do, I don't think there's a good reason to expect anything different. Right. And I guess the biggest question here is how hard can this staff hit the recruiting trail and be successful? Because you look at the roster right now, Matt Bradley, uh, committed under Viking Jones, Paris Austin committed under Viking Jones, Juwan Harris Dyson under Conzo, uh, Grant Antisevich under Conzo, Kareem South grad transfer. So that's I guess given to Mark Fox, Andre Kelly under Viking Jones, DJ Thorpe under Viking Jones, uh, Connie Connie under uh, Mark Fox, Joel Brown under Viking Jones, Lars Tiemann under Mark Fox. You go down that list, they had quite a few scholarships to play with but it didn't necessarily turn into you know higher tier talent granted the recruiting the recruiting just landscape of college basketball in general tends to be guys commit earlier uh and they sign their letters of intent earlier and the staff came in decently late all things considered so you know they didn't get to hit the recruiting trail hard but then you look at this year's and it's just you know, two three-star guys um, in local kid uh, Monty Bowser and the other kid, I, I believe it's from New York, Jalen Celestine. Um, so, and now with Jacoby Gordon now transferring, they do have another scholarship. They got to play two with. slots to play with, I believe. Yeah. So you have to wonder what they decide to do with this. Um, I, and I guess, you know, I don't know if you follow recruiting as heavily, but. What would you preferably want to do with this? Do you do you, do you try and hit, hit 
go for the home run and go for one of those high four stars or five star guys that are still on the table and and just put out an all out uh, for them as the basketball season ends or do you go another grad transfer route uh, maybe maybe the likes of uh, former top 100 recruit Bryce Aiken who's leaving Harvard early and is in the transfer portal who would fit that mold of a guy who can be academically successful here and be you know basketball basketball successful um, yeah I just wanted to maybe get your take on what you think they might do with this maybe moving forward and you know to the next season yeah well it's so we're, we're in a tough situation here and so when you were running down the roster and, and who recruited the players you reminded me of one of the kind of what went wrong aspects of the season that I didn't really get into. And, and that's the reality is that, that Cal got very, very little in terms of on-court production from their freshman class. And that's, you know, five players, freshman class, who just from the sheer volume of how many players that is on, on our scholarship, Cal is going to need them to produce if they're going to be even an average Pac-12 program going forward. And so, you know, of those five guys, um, three of them received very, very little playing time until later in the year, DJ Thorpe, Kwani Kwani, and Demetrius Kalinaris. So we barely have a sample to even say what they might be. I will say Kwani Kwani, late in the season, flashed some intriguing shooting. And DJ Thorpe kind of physically seemed like a capable player, but when they get so few minutes, it's, it's hard to say what whether or not they could even be, you know, end-of-the-bench contributors down the line. Lars Tiemann got a lot of playing time early and, and really, really struggled, and his playing time declined as a result. He just, he, I think he can be a credible defender, but offensively, the, the turnovers were just... A, a, insurmountable to, to him being able to get playing time. Um, so that leaves Joel Brown as the one freshman who did get a lot of time. And as is the case for a lot of Mark Fox players, you know, he's he was an immediate contributor defensively, but the question will be, what can he develop in terms of an offensive arsenal? Because um, his the amount of shots he took, the usage he provided on the court was just microscopic. Um, and so... And either Cal is either going to need for that freshman class to take a big developmental leap next forward, or they're going to need to find guys as recruits who are ready to contribute immediately. And Cal's two recruits, you know, just based on where they are in the rankings and, and per recruiting scouting, I, I doubt they're going to be instant impact guys. So, um, in terms of just competing for next year, knowing that we're presumably, depending on coronavirus-related weirdness, presumably losing Paris Austin and Kareem South, there's a lot of minutes at guard that are going to have to go somewhere. Um, you know, if you were a, a grad transfer who looking to play Power 5 basketball, I, I would think just from a pure minutes availability, Cal would look reasonably attractive. Um, I guess there are questions about if there's anybody else that Cal might lose to transfer beyond Jacoby Gordon. Uh, Juwan Harris-Dyson's status is a little bit up in the air. 
surprise transfers you know happen to every team um but yeah i cal definitely needs some instant offense from somewhere whether it's a, a big time recruit or uh, a grad transfer of some kind where they're going to go and get those players uh, i don't know uh, you know there's been very very little buzz uh, in terms of players that cal is getting attention from on the recruiting trail which makes me think that a grad transfer is more likely but this program needs, you know, needs freshman four-year players. Yeah, the thing that bums me out as a Cal fan, especially as a Cal basketball fan, is this particular recruiting class, the 2020 class, was just was just a picture-perfect class with so many top-tier guys that have Cal ties. Um, you look at Number number ten on ESPN, Josh Christopher, of course, the younger brother of Patrick Christopher, uh, four year player here. Just it it seems it seems like a no brainer that we would have been a pretty close in the runnings, but you know he knocked us off his list a few months ago, and you know I think it's probably a multitude of things that resulted in that. But you know coaching changes and non and just continuity. Didn't help his case as, you know, being a five-star. Uh, and then you have, of course, Sharif's Sharif's kid. And uh, I'm going to butcher his name. I don't know if it's Jabri or Jabri or how to, how to say his name. He's also yeah, a four-star. Sure four-star small forward. Um, you know, and he committed to uh, Virginia. Smart move by the kid uh, to play in Virginia. But... You know, those are two guys that are top tier, top probably 60, I'd assume, uh, in the country. One in the top five, or one in the top 10. Actually, never mind. Uh, Sharif's kid is actually rated 33rd on ESPN. So you'd have two top 35 kids uh, on your roster immediately eligible to contribute, and arguably one of them being a a very high NBA draft pick uh, come a year later. So. It just it's disappointing um, because it, it just seemed like maybe this was a, a chance for us to maybe use some of those ties that we had built up and that next generation of of Cal ties to use um, to kind of vault ourselves a little bit forward. But you know it's yeah. it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough fight. My guess is that under Mark Fox, we are unlikely to be meaningfully competitive with five-star level kids. I don't think that he's really the type of coach to go out and recruit those guys, whether or not he, he's trying or not, I, I can't say. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of Cal fans after the Ivan Rab Jalen Brown season kind of imploded at the end. And then the roster situation left behind when Conzo left have become sort of gun shy about recruiting those high level kids. And, and, I, and I understand why, I guess what I would say is that there, there is a big middle ground of, of players between the five star kids and the sort of, um, I would say a lesser scouted yeah, international pros- three star players. Uh, there's a big middle ground between there of like four-star, yeah. high three-star guys who can be major contributors over a long period of time. Like uh, Matt, Matt Bradley is actually a perfect example of a high three-star, low four-star level player who 
is good enough to be a really positive contributor, a plus contributor for multiple years, but not good enough to go pro, uh, and, you know, particularly soon. Those are the type of levels of guys that Cal should be able to and has consistently attracted throughout you know, the modern era of recruiting under Ben Braun, under Monty, under, uh, or even under Viking Jones. Um, those are the type of guys that we would like to think that Mark Fox could be able to recruit so far after admittedly a transition class and then now his first full class that's in, in process, that hasn't happened yet. And quite frankly, it needs to happen soon. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, just need to get some sort of traction on the recruiting trail, uh, some sort of buzz. I think maybe snagging, maybe maybe there are some coaching firings that are, have yet to happen, and some guys end up back on the market. So, I guess that's that's the only only thing I got fingers crossed. Other than, you know, maybe the maybe the whole situation is kind of like what happened with Jalen Brown, how we kind of. Never knew we were in it for him, and then all of a sudden news drops that he officially visited, and and then now we're about to sign him. So maybe, maybe. I mean, but I just don't know with, with Mark Fox, and none of his assistants have any good record of you know high-tier talent. So Yeah, well, and it's a shame, too, because it seems like this season, at least from a wins and losses perspective, went about as well as you could realistically ask, considering where Cal was coming from. Uh, being able to say that we went from five Pac-12 wins over two seasons to seven and eleven and a Pac-12 win in Vegas, you know, uh, you could Mark Fox should be able to argue to recruits that he's got things going in a positive direction, but not a whole lot of bites as yet. But recruiting season isn't over yet, so uh, hope can be maintained. It's not in a weird way, you know, official recruiting season, you know, you can't go on official visits. Uh, you can't, you know, coaches can't go out to, to see players, but emails, texts, uh, still very, very, very much alive. So let's see, let's see if, if the coaching staff can, uh, pull a rabbit out of the hat at the, at the final minutes of this recruiting season. Yeah. Speaking of recruiting season. Let's hop on over to women's basketball because their recruiting season was absolutely stellar. I don't think there's any other way I can describe this. Five, what, three five stars in the span of, I think, maybe, what, two and a half weeks, three weeks? Something like that, yeah. Incredible. And that was right after Charmin was brought in. (laughs) So... I'm going to let you just run with this. Um, with Let's start with the, the women's season review. What were yeah. your expectations for the women's team going in? You know, it's funny that, that the women kind of ended up play, uh, 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 playing around with our hearts a little bit. Uh, I expected a very, very rough season for all the reasons that it ended up being a very, very rough season. Um, Cal has this weird, thanks to transfers and, and injuries and kind of interesting recruiting decisions that Cal had this super lopsided roster with some sort of a bunch of seniors a little bit some of them kind of journeyman players exactly one player in the sophomore and junior classes and then a whole bunch of freshmen brought in to sort of rebuild the program but they were just freshmen 
And so it was a weird, shallow, lopsided roster. Um, a lot of players learning on the job. I expected, you know, the worst Cal season from a wins and losses perspective in a long, long time. And then Cal kind of teased us by having an unexpectedly good uh, non-conference performance. And, uh, hey, Rob, you still there? Yeah. Okay, sorry, the the, the, vocal, the noise sounded weird. Oh, no worries. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, and then Pac-12 play started and reality set in, which is that this is an utterly elite conference, the best in the nation by a wide margin. And this team, with all their roster challenges, it just wasn't going to be a competitive season for them. But they did finish the season with two late upset wins over top 25 level teams who would be preparing probably to host games were it not for uh, everything that's happened since then. A lot of it fueled by uh, improved play from their freshman guards who you know, were learning as the season went along. And so I think optimism is pretty as, as high as it could be after a, a 2-16 and 16 conference season because if those guards continue on their trajectory, take a, a developmental step in the offseason, and then add that in with all of the... the, the in, Post talent that has been recruited, you know, you've you've got a formula there that can work. I guess building off of that, um, in terms of what went right, uh, can we talk about just the coaching style change? Uh, maybe some differences that you noticed in terms of the positives uh, from building off of what Lindsay had built here. Yeah, well, similar to the men's basketball team, the defense was a lot better. Um, I, it's still a mystery to me why Cal's defense was as ineffective as it was with Christine Inigwe, this dominant uh, interior player to act, to act as the anchor of your defense, but it, it just it just wasn't. You know, statistically, you can see it in the numbers. Sharman uh, Smith came in with uh, players that on paper shouldn't be as, as talented, and they played better defense this year, uh, despite you know issues with depth and injuries and all kinds of problems. That, um, you know, I think the other thing that kind of went right was seeing uh, Jalen Brown transform herself from role player to lead scorer on a team that just didn't have any other real consistent scoring options. She, she had no choice but to hoist up shots and. You know, it didn't lead to the most efficient season, but she kept this team afloat when they just didn't have anyone else to turn to. And honestly put a, a level of performance that I didn't know that she was capable of. And it was fun to see her going out scoring lots of points, even if she probably didn't get the wins that she wanted to have. I guess flipping to the other side, what, according to what you saw, went wrong? Uh, I guess... With a, in a weird way, with a coaching change like this and just knowing that it's going to be a, somewhat of a rebuild after losing such talent this past offseason, is there really a lot of things that can go wrong um, in terms of in, if, in relation to your expectations for the team? Well, I, the easy answer here is, is injuries. Um, 
to the extent that Cal might have been able to be competitive, it would have been with Michael Caton and C.J. West complementing Jalen Brown as a lead guard. Michael Caton tragically suffered another season-ending injury early in the year. C.J. West had her own series of injuries that just clearly limited her physically, and all kudos to her for, for playing through them when Cal just, you know, didn't have a whole lot of other players on the roster to, to eat up minutes. Um, you know, if you have those two players at 100%, that's not the difference between what happened and, and a tournament team, but it's it's a team that's wins more Pac-12 games, is more competitive. You know, Cal also had you know, little injuries here and there to Sarah Anastasieska and Chen Yua. It, it was just a battered team by the end of the year, and when you're dealing with a shallow, lopsided roster, that just adds to the degree of difficulty. From that, I guess, were there any bigger issues that you saw? Maybe some some things that you would want the team to improve on or to build off of moving into this offseason? Well, yeah, I think there are some open questions about maybe potential skill gaps that might still be on the roster. I don't know if, it, if there's going to be enough shooting next year. You know, one of the questions when I'm watching any basketball team play is – what shots do they want to try to create? Like, what what's uh, the shot that a particular player likes, and how do they try to work to get that player that shot? And one of the challenges of when you watch this women's team is you didn't, other than trying to get Jalen Brown open mid-range jump shots or rolling downhill to the basket, there wasn't an obvious shot to hunt. You know, you had kind of a defense first point guard in Leilani McIntosh. You had a couple of freshman guards who weren't confident in their offensive game earlier in the year. That changed as the year went along, but, uh, you know, Alicia Styles isn't a volume shooter. Um, they really tried to feed C.J. West early in the year, and then as her kind of injuries built up and she couldn't play as many minutes, they couldn't turn to her as much. There wasn't anywhere to go offensively to get points. And so I don't want I don't, to, I don't know if I saw enough to really judge how Sharman Smith is going to run her offense once she has players where she can try to create shots for them once there's a little more gravity on the floor. But it, it is an open question until we see this team with um, a, a little more of a balanced roster. So I guess a, a perfect lead in from there is do you believe the recruiting class that's coming in will be the balancing factor for this roster and off of that how excited are you for this recruiting class i'm excited although i am i'm probably going to try to tamp down my personal expectations for year one just because cal is going to have exactly one upper class player next year in uh senior Malaysia Styles, you know, unless they bring in some unexpected grand transfer that I'm not aware of. Um, it's still a team that's going to be almost entirely sophomores and freshmen. And even though I think that they're talented, there's going to be a certain limit on how much a team like that can achieve, especially since the Pac-12. It won't be as good as it was this year, but it'll still be really good. Um, still probably the best conference uh, in the United States. And but they, there's just going to be so many more players who are a threat to score in different ways. 
obviously, I mean, you saw um, Kaylin Crocker really emerge as a, a scorer with the little variety to her game. She developed a dribble drive game. Jaslyn Green kind of emerged as a potential shooter later in the year. If you can add that to interior players who are going to draw attention from a defense, potentially even double teams, like Delia Daniels can potentially even be a stretch shooter, um, there are going to be more options available to this team. And so I would say as a, at a minimum, I would expect them to be, you know, competitive with the the middle of the conference. Um, you know, maybe they'll end up with something like an 8-10, and 9-9 and nine conference record. And maybe be on the NCAA bubble if, if things fall right. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable thing to root for uh, going into Sharman uh, Smith's second year. Okay. I think that's all the questions I had about the women's basketball team. Uh, but before we move on to our fan questions... I'm going to pause here for a little public service announcement slash ad. And this episode of the Golden Bearcast is brought to you by Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or college basketball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts, esports, lots of things. So if you're into entertainment, you can still bet on American Idol, the elections, the spelling bee, and even the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your new ticket to online action. Um, let's get started. Our friend Terrence, who's out in the middle of nowhere right now how soon until women's cal women's basketball hits the top 25 next season what holes does the team have this is perfect for you nick because we were just talking about the women's team yeah um i think whether or not they ever hit the top 25 is going to depend on what their non-conference schedule ends up looking like um pac-12 play is just so brutal that these teams, you lose too many games to stay ranked in the top 25 with the way the voters just react to any loss, whether or not it's to, you know, top five Oregon and Stanford or, or somebody else. Um, but, you know, if Cal plays the way they did in the non-conference schedule this year, um, you know, they, they could pull an upset or two, maybe get a, a, a little ranking there. But more importantly, you know, if the freshmen, if the sophomores take a big step forward and the freshmen are immediately like, oh, yes, that is a five-star player uh, playing like a five-star, then they may be able to approach a top 25 level of you know, efficiency and, and, and on-court play. And, you know, it, it, it's in the realm of possibility. I still think there are too much youth for me to really start jumping over the moon. I'm thinking more about two years down the line when the uh, they get a little experience under their belt. But, you know, really talented players can surprise you. So I'm, I am uh, ready and willing to be surprised. All right. The next question, is, I guess, is also for you. Uh, this is actually from your significant other. Because she asks, <laughs> does this mean Nick and I are not going out to dinner we have reservations for 
did you end up going out to dinner that you had reservations for, and how was that dinner? You know, I had uh, some spectacular ravioli. Um, my wife enjoyed herself a uh, Dungeness crab pasta. We only felt a little bit guilty for not social distancing and just eating at home. But uh, I, I hesitate to say it was worth it. <laughs> that answers the question for me. As long as it tasted <laughs> good and you enjoyed yourself, I think... I think that's 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 good enough. All right, uh, another one from our friend on Twitter, Cal Kangila. I'm gonna I'm gonna I don't know how to say some of these names. So, what is the goal for Cal men's basketball next season? Ooh, what you is the start goal? that one off, Rob? I guess my take would be, I think we have to build in terms of wins. I think you we had a lot of close calls. Not a lot of our wins were, I think, maybe barring the Stanford win um, just a couple days ago, there weren't any emphatic wins. And I think that's the thing I'm looking for is can the team finally like fully buy into the identity that Mark, Mark Fox is trying to build? Can we use that identity to basically crush some opponents, maybe early on in the year, maybe in Pac-12 play? Uh, but just a couple more of those just to show that, hey... We've learned our lesson now. We've gotten the, the losing mentality out of our system. We can't step, put the pedal to the metal and just run guys out of the gym in terms of how we play uh, and just get some emphatic wins like that. Am I expecting a, a win-loss increase? Maybe. Hopefully so. I mean, we finished we finished 10th in the conference, but... I mean, a couple balls here and there fall a different way. We're probably sitting somewhere in seventh. So, like, that's a drastic improvement from where all the riders thought we would be, which was dead last in the conference. And I think that's kind of where we'll be at. I think we'll probably be somewhere in that six to eight range in the conference and hopefully, hopefully better than that. But that would be my goal expectation I would set for the team. How about you, Nick? Well, I guess there's always two ways to answer these sort of questions. There's the the cold, hard facts of wins and losses, and then the more question, uh, ephemeral style and that sort of thing. Cold, hard facts, I want to see a winning record. We have gone three years with a losing record in basketball, and that's it just breaks my heart because this program was the model of Pac-12 consistency as recently as uh, three years ago. So I want a winning record. And I'd like to see this team shoot for a winning record in conference play, too. I mean, I'd settle for 9-9. Nine and nine. Um, But the Pac-12 is just too mediocre of a conference to not shoot for that as, as a record, even knowing that this team, you know is losing a couple players who were significant rotation players, and it's not clear how that, that's going to be replaced. Um, so those are my you know hopes from a win-loss perspective. From a more... If, if Mark Fox is your head basketball coach, then you need to be playing above-average defense within your conference. And I think we saw flashes of that, but whether it was not enough 
practice time or not enough time to break a lot of the bad habits that players learned over the previous two years. It was only fleeting glimpses of what Mark Fox expects a defense should be and what Mark Fox has always had on defense in his coaching career. And so I want to see a team that is solidly above average defensively within the Pac-12. And I don't expect any significant improvement on offense, but I would I would love to see it. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see Matt Bradley just take the Pac-12 by storm. I would love to see him be the highest usage player in the Pac-12, lead the Pac-12 in scoring. Just whether or not the the team as a whole was great offensively, I want to see Matt Bradley just burn the conference down. Like you want him to have like a, a Steph Curry, a Davidson type of junior year? Is that is that the goal that we're setting? Yeah, it's on, so defense is Mark Fox ball. Offense is Matt Bradley and the screen setters. <laughs> that sounds like the name of a band. That that's pretty much what it should be. Yeah. I guess I guess a question to that that I, I would want to ask since we're on this topic is how impressed were you with Matt Bradley as the primary ball handler coming off of off of screens and his decision making? Because for me, going to all these games, it seemed like he got better and better at it. And definitely definitely and I asked him about this after one of the games, his his uh, his vision in terms of his passing on the pick and roll got significantly better uh, from from basically the first few games early on in the season. Do you expect maybe Matt to turn into that hybrid type of combo guard for us with the ball in his hands more, maybe going forward, just because we need the ball in his hands and for him to make the decisions whether he wants to pass or to score often anyways? <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, well, one of the things that impressed me most, I, I talked earlier about how his his role in the offense was much bigger this year. Despite that, he lowered his turnover rating. Uh, you know, he was he was really secure with the ball. <coughs> Excuse me, I got something in my throat. Maybe we start my answer over on that one. Um, yeah, one of the things that really impressed me about Matt Bradley was he had this bigger role in the offense, but he lowered his turnover percentage on a team that you know didn't really other than that, take great care of the ball from a, a wider perspective. Um, and and that, that tells me that, yeah, he could probably handle the ball, ball more, be the focal point of the offense more, and still you know maintain a, a reasonable level of efficiency. I think he has that potential in him. And granted, that you know the parts that are around him are relevant, but it's true that you know, Paris Austin is uh, is saying goodbye, and that means that there's are minutes and ball handling that need to go somewhere. And I think Matt Bradley is, you know, very reasonable uh, to expect him to take on more burden even than he had last year. The one interesting, like, little stat that I still have not been able to find is offensive charges. And how many Matt had, and because I wanted to compare it to how many Jalen had his ear here, because <laughs> it feels awfully similar that the two of them had so many offensive charge calls against them. Granted, Matt, on the other hand, took a lot of charges too, and he's got he's found himself he's found a knack of like just timing it perfectly. But I would I definitely would want to look at those numbers, but I just haven't been able to find anywhere that tracks that over the years. 
So if you're a listener and you know of this stat, tweet at me. Let me know. It's something that I'm very interested in looking at. Um, we have another question here from one of our one of our writers, Peter, out in Washington, D.C. If Cal's men's basketball team and women's basketball team were cocktails, what what would they be? I don't suppose that he knew that I am like the worst person to ask this question <laughs> because I rarely drink, and when I do, it's with very limited variety. I can think of an incredibly cliched but probably accurate answer for the women's basketball team. Give it to me. Well, the the women's team is is clearly a, a vineyard that knows what it's doing, but you know it takes a little bit of time for those grapes to develop. the uh, The twenty twenty vintage had potential. Um, but you know, give it a, give it some time to age. Let those vines ripen, and uh, you'll be you'll be finding a wine that'll pair with everything s- soon enough. I'd say the men's basketball team would just be a shot of hard liquor at this point. I mean, because we're just we're just throwing up shots. <laughs> like that's that's pretty much what we're doing on offense. Is uh. You know, it doesn't seem like we we have like an identity yet because the identity changed all throughout the year. So we're just we're just putting up shots, hoping that they fall, and moving on with our day. If we happen to knock down a few of them, yay, and we'll win. If not, we're probably gonna lose that day. That's pretty much how the season played out in my eyes too. Um, let's see, we got some questions on the. Our Discord channel, Specslayer asks, "Can you use this time to review Mark Fox's tenure in general?" I think we kind of did that at the beginning, so we'll move on from that. Um, JP Lee forty four asks, "Your observations from the short spring practice that did occur? I thought Humphreys would make an impact at safety, but haven't heard anything on him." Um, sure, I can talk about that. Uh, yeah, Humphreys is also one of the guys that I had as, as a dark horse candidate in spring football playing significant snaps. That seems to have, for some odd reason, not occurred. Uh, Trey Pastor and um, Woodson are the two guys that have seemingly taken up just the just the open snaps and the availability that's left behind by the likes of Jalen Hawkins and Ashton Davis no longer being there, and they've taken it by storm. They're they're amazing. Woodson actually is the kid that Ashton Davis at his uh, combine interview, when someone asked him who is some Cal guys that you know people should be talking about or looking out for in the future, his first name was his, the first name he mentioned was Woodson. So I think. He's definitely playing to that. The dude is a ball hawk. Um, he tracks the ball very, very well and makes plays. Um, and coverage thing is a little bit of an issue. Uh, but at the same time, he's still only a redshirt freshman. So he's he's growing into that mold. Um, and we'll see maybe moving forward if he can take that safety spot, one of the safety spots. Um, I guess... Nick, I'll, I guess I'll ask you this. Uh, did you have any questions for me that you were curious about uh, in terms of what happened on the first four practices of spring ball? Four practices? <laughs> Boy, as, as a firm believer in the dangers of small sample sizes, that's a, 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 a tough question. I, I, hard for me to come up with a question that would be remotely fair to ask you. Um, 
I suppose I I had uh, tongue in cheek tweeted you earlier that the main thing I cared about was was the offensive line, but there is a lot of truth to that because I do firmly believe that the offensive line is the difference between a Cal offense and an actually exciting plus Cal offense that we've never seen under Wilcox. Um, so I don't know if you have any offensive line observations, but that's definitely the thing that I was hoping to track through spring ball. Yeah, I mean, I can go into that. Um, the offensive line is is in a weird place because you have you have so many guys with experience um, because they've just played snaps over the last couple of years. So many injuries. Um, so many injuries, and you've you've seen these guys do it. I'm, let me pull up my article as I as I talk about it. Um, but you know, you under Greatwood for three years, Greatwood pretty much rebuilt that entire room. Um, and he's at the point now where you have guys that have played starter snaps. You have guys that have played starter snaps due to injury. You have guys that have now been part of the rotation. Um, and you have guys that now are no longer freshmen, and you're expecting them to make that jump and start to produce and be a part of the a part of the rotation going forward. So it's been a weird weird type of situation there but at the same time when you look across the line you pretty much know who your starters are and that's the weird thing that there's a competition yet you know who the starting five are and you know the first name you're going to put out there is uh, is, is mike mike Safel. um the second name you're probably going to put out there is jake curran the third name you're probably going to put out there is will craig when he f- gets fully healthy um, and then you have, and then you have guys like McCade Metower who had a bunch of minutes um, last season. Valentino Daltoso, the senior, who's had a bunch of snaps. Uh, Jenna Williams, another guy who's coming off of injury, but when he plays, he's been really good. Uh, juniors in Putasi Putasi. Sophomores, you got Matt Sindrick, Will Craig, McCade Metower, Brandon Mello, Miles Owens. And then you have the redshirt freshmen and guys like Brian Driscoll, Ben Coleman, Braden Rome. Um, and so this room is so deep now. And I could honestly give you two full lines now. Like I could go, you could you could spell your entire line and I would be comfortable with that second unit. That's how, that's how much experience there is across the board now. Now... I don't know of Angus McClure and how his offensive lines has do- have done when he's been an offensive line coach. Um, that's not something I've looked into. Uh, but you'd assume that there'd be a firm foundation that Great would have set, that there's not much drastic changes or drastic differences um, that he's looking for. The two things I'll note on the offensive line is the one thing that I saw at practice was they worked heavily on getting to the second level. Um, granted, that's also because of how the offense is, work, is working. And at least the first week, they were working on a lot of the run plays and setting up play action and such. So you see you know, guys push up, and you hear Angus McClure always yelling, like, push up, push up, push up, or look for the next guy, look for the next guy. So you'll see maybe the center and the left guard or the right guard push up into you know, a defensive end or a linebacker, and then as soon as they make contact, you'll see either the center or the guard peel off 
it looked for that next guy to block to keep the lane open. Um, so that's just one of the things that I've seen that them focusing in on. The second thing is they're working on their athleticism and their footwork, um, getting off the line quicker, you know, getting upfield faster. I think it's just one of the things that they're trying to add to this pretty experienced group. So that's that's pretty much my little spiel on the offensive line and what I've seen so far. Great. Uh, let's see. We got a, we got a little comment or question from Elfini in the Discord. It says, I'd like to hear some chat about our new coaches, at least. Uh, yeah, I mean, the new coaches, which include uh, defensive backs coach Marcel Yates, offensive line coach Angus McClure, uh, running backs coach Aristotle Thompson, and then, of course, the offensive coordinator in uh, Bill Musgrave, um, who is genuinely just a good dude. He's just a super nice guy. Uh, and the way he handles press conferences is very, very NFL uh, press conference-like. It's pretty funny uh, because a lot of the other coaches, they'll just kind of stand there and wait until, you know, we're done asking questions. There's a little bit of a lull, and then he'll be like, all right, thanks, guys, and then they'll leave. Musgrave, when we when we got to talk to him last week, was just uh, he just answered a few questions, and then at some point, I guess he just wanted to stop answering questions. So he's like, all right, thanks, and then he just walked off. Uh, without like NFL looking, style, yeah. Without lo- without looking at us to see if we had any extra questions, um, I'm pretty sure I'm, if if that doesn't change, then we'll adjust to it. Uh, if anything, he might adjust to us. We'll see how that pans out. But honestly, it's I think it's just it's just funny that that's just how he's built uh, for because of just that many years in the NFL. Um, in terms of the other coaches, Angus McClure, of course, is a very very active hands on coach, super loud. Probably the only coach that you'll see on the field in practice, uh, or the only coach that you might not see, but you'll always hear. Um, <laughs> and then Aristotle Thompson uh, definitely has taken up the mantle from uh, GA as probably like the best talker out of the coaches. Uh, I don't know if, if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you haven't uh, watched his press conference with us, um, it's on the Right for California YouTube page. Go take a look. I think it's practice two. Um, it's absolutely awesome because he talks about Zach Angelillo and his moving to the offense from linebacker. And he said, uh, you know, he's, he just, he's come to the side of the light all the years that he spent in the darkness. And now, you know, he's finally in the light. So it's, it's he's just a great talker. Um, super fun to talk to. He's definitely going to be a character and a personality to talk to over the next few years. Um, but yeah, the stuff he's working on, one of the cool things I saw that I've never seen with the running backs coaches, um, they worked on a lot of like the the little button hooks and like the safety valve routes. And when they do, when they make the turn, um, Coach Thompson will throw a tennis ball at them, and they have to catch the tennis ball, um, which makes sense because if you if you can catch something as small as a tennis ball, the likelihood of you being able to catch a football is significantly higher. Uh, so. Yeah, I thought that was a little added little bonus that I saw that I, I haven't seen before. Uh, and, yeah, he's absolutely great. And then uh, Marcel Yates, uh, I haven't not talked to him yet, uh, but he definitely looks like uh, just a just your prototypical DB coach. You know, his, his big thing was he was a better recruiter than he was a coach, so we'll see what he brings in in terms of recruiting. But... The DB room also at this point kind of runs itself because of all the upperclassmen guys that are there that have played minutes that 
you know, guys like Cam Bynum, Elijah Hicks, uh, Daniel Scott, Josh Drayden. Um, there's a bunch of guys in there that have now been in the system, and they're pretty much teaching the younger guys now. And it's something that I know Wilcox has envisioned. You know, when he first got here and we were talking to him, he said, you know, he just wants to get to a place where not only are the coaches coaching, but also the older guys. Um, and that just helps bring the team up to speed faster um, instead of having – Four years, four years worth of guys trying to learn something. It's basically about two, um, and the other two are teaching the younger two. So, yeah, um, that's pretty much it on the coaches. Uh, if there's anything you else, know, I think uh, you should suggest to the coaches that they can replace uh, that tennis ball drill with maybe more like a, a wrench drill, and go with the <laughs> Patches O'Houlihan style coaching philosophy. Yeah, well, I mean, we could do that and just have the golf, Marshawn just riding golf carts in front of them, right? <laughs> they got to run. Dodge they Marshawn run past a golf it. car. You can dodge a defender. Uh, yeah, um, that room, that running back room, also right now is super thin because they're only they only have four running backs. It's Chris Brown, um, to Carlos Brooks, Marcel Dancy, and Deshaun Collins. Of course, with Zach Angelillo, who's not playing fullback. But, I mean, in the fall, that room gets, you know, two more guys in Damian, Damian Moore and uh, Chris Street. So, you know, that room's going to be pretty talented and a lot of talent to work with. And Aristotle Thompson is definitely established as a very good running backs coach. What he can do at the Power 5 level is, is you know, up for review. Um, and we'll see how, how that group does. But, you know, his past... Guys that he's coached and how well they've ran, superb. Yeah. I think that's about it. Do you have any other topics or questions that you wanted to talk about? I don't think there's any value in getting into it right now. Partly because I am uh, recruiting moron, and partly because this is long enough as it is already. I'm guessing, but uh, Cal football recruiting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's we're definitely building something. constellations out there. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something that uh, we're gonna have to get into on a on another pod with just the recruiting stuff. But if you've been hiding under a rock, uh, Cal secured the commitment of four-star tight end Jermaine Terry, who's a local kid, uh, and then right on the tails of that, got Achille Calhoun Jr., who's also a Bay Area kid, who uh, and he plays defensive end. Uh, the one thing that's cool is the rumors were always that Jermaine and Achille wanted to play football together. And when Jermaine committed, it was just immediate that they would kind of go in that route. So you look at the Cal recruiting roster right now, and I guess we'll end it with this. Is I think you have four guys committed. Uh, two guys are four stars. Or three guys are four stars. Uh, and two three of them are from the bay area <laughs> and you know and you have different talent across the board you got an offensive lineman from the midwest you got jermaine terry and a super athletic top 10 tight end in this recruiting class and then you have uh anderson extremely athletic wide receiver and then now you got achille calhoun who's probably going to be a very very good defensive end for us so things are looking up for football yeah, and, it's basically everything we've been asking for for the last few years all at once. Yeah. Bay Area, California, higher level prospects, more athleticism, more offense. Everything we've been asking for, we've been getting. It's like our Christmas. 
It's like it's like our Cal fan Christmas in terms of recruiting. It's just everything happening at once. Such a joy. And now, but now we can't go. There's no spring football, so there's not much content to report on as of now. All right. We'll find things to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Well, that wraps it up for us here on the Golden Bear Cast. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Rob11HWANG. You can find Nick on Twitter at Nick. Oh, I got to remember Nor- my, my screen Nick name. W4C. Yeah, that I sounds accurate. It, it changed. It. Yeah. Um, you can find all our written stuff up at our new website, rightforcalifornia.com. Uh, there are some issues. I will give a disclaimer. There are some issues right now with uh, the emails and notifications. If you do sign up for the website, just sign up and subscribe on the first page that you see when you get in. Go to your account and unclick email notifications. You won't get any emails, even if someone uh, comments or you know likes any of your comments. So you can do that, and you'll be a part of us, and you won't get emails forwarded to you. Um, and other than that, you can also find us at the Golden Bear Cast on Twitter. You can find our Discord channel on Twitter as well. Um, it's up on there. And that's pretty much it. Send that's all complaints to at Twist and Hook. Send all complaints to at Twist and Hook. And with that, as always, go Bears. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.